0: Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon, and please join me in welcoming our television and webcast viewers to today's program. My name is Jennifer Sloan. I'm president of the Canadian Club of Toronto, and we thank our viewing audience for joining us today. The Canadian Club has a long history as the leading current affairs podium in Canada. Led by a volunteer board of directors, we are dedicated to encouraging open and accessible debate on issues that matter to Toronto, to the province, and to our country. Through our youth and young leaders' programs, civic action diversity partnerships, accessibility commitments, as well as through our media partnerships and social media properties, we provide opportunities for Canadians around the world to engage with leading political, business, and public figures. Thank you for joining our conversation today. Before I formally introduce our speaker, I'd like to tell you about some of our upcoming events. On Thursday, Frederic Odea, Chairman and CEO of Société Générale, will be joining us to discuss adapting the banking model to the 21st century, followed by a conversation with CIBC's new President and CEO, Victor Dodig. And on January 6th, the Canadian Club, in partnerships with the National Post, will be hosting our 38th annual Financial Outlook with an expert panel reflecting on the economy, the markets, and political issues that will affect Canadians in the year ahead. This year's panel will be moderated by our own Bruce Celery and will feature Conrad Black, Terence Corcoran, Andrew Coyne, Diane Francis, and Warren Justin. For a full listing of the club's upcoming events, And to order tickets, please visit our website at canadianclub.org. And you can also join the conversation via Twitter and Instagram by following us at CDNCLUBTO, or by using that hashtag. I'd like to express special thanks to today's sponsor, McCarthy Tetro, represented by Marc-André and Matt. Thank you both for your generous support and for being with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, on your behalf, I'm pleased to introduce today's speaker. How did you get here today? Is the Uber app on your smartphone? Over the last five years, Uber's innovative GPS-based ride-sharing service has taken the world by storm. Many welcome the service. Others, like established taxi companies and jittery municipalities, would like to put the brakes on it. Uber connects riders to drivers using its mobile application, offering different options for riders and more business for drivers. Since it launched in 2009, Uber Technologies Service is now offered in more than 250 cities on six continents. Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa are among them. With the San Francisco-based companies valued at 8 dollars, Uber is clearly an economic driver, putting a new spin on taxi and ride-sharing services. It has responded to consumer demand with inexpensive on-demand transportation solutions. You may be familiar with UberX ride-sharing and UberPool. Ian Black is General Manager of Uber Toronto, a role he's had since May. Lacorda Junction notwithstanding, Mr. Black is managing a service that has flourished since it was launched in Toronto two years ago. He received his BA in Economics from Queen's University and an MBA from INSAD. His entrepreneurial and business acumen was honed at Bain & Company, Google, and Helios Solar Energy. We welcome him to talk about the needs for progressive regulatory transportation solutions and how innovation can contribute to transforming the sector. After his remarks, Mr. Black will be joined in conversation with CBC's Peter Armstrong. Mr. Armstrong is an award-winning journalist who has covered some of the biggest events of the last two decades, including the tsunami, and ensuing nuclear disaster in Japan, three federal elections, and the Sochi Olympics. We are pleased to have both of them with us today. To start, Mr. Black, the Canadian Club of Toronto's podium, Canada's podium of record, is now yours.
1: Well, thank you, Jennifer, very much for that introduction, and it's a pleasure to be here today, and thank you so much for being here, especially uh, at a busy time of year. Uh, It's a real honor to be here at the Canadian Club. Uh, So I'm going to pick up on, on Jennifer's question. Please raise your hand if you took an Uber to the lunch here today. Okay, I'm very encouraged. We've got a lot of space back there. That looks like room to grow in Toronto. Uh, so I'm feeling good. Um, this is, so there's plenty to discuss today. I'm going to dive right in. The, the topic that I'd like to discuss is the changing face of urban transportation. Uh, as general manager of Uber in Toronto, uh, we see innovations really strengthening communities and economic livelihoods in cities across excuse me, across the country. And that's really what we're here to discuss. Uh, but I also want to discuss progressive legislative solutions that could be applied to ride sharing here in Canada. And I want to state unequivocally Uber's commitment and willingness to be a part of creating those regulatory solutions. So for those of you who don't know, what is Uber? Well, it's a company on a mission. And our mission is to roll out an efficient, elegant, elegant, and most importantly, safe transportation system in cities all across the world. Now, from a founding in 2009, as Jennifer mentioned, to today, we're in over 260 cities. And we've brought a very simple idea to life in an extraordinary way. Transportation at the click of a button. You know, our riders love a lot of things about Uber, but primary among them are the fact that you can see your vehicle arrive, you see the name of the driver, Uh, You also get out of the car without having to pay cash. It's a cashless transaction. And there's safety and uh, customer service built into the system. This simplicity that Uber has brought to transportation of making it completely easy from getting to point A to point B in a city is really what Uber is built upon. So much about cities is dictated by how you get around them. If Uber can bring comfort and efficiency to transportation in cities, then we really have a bright future. That's what we're about, is creating that simple solution. Now, there's another uh, very powerful concept at the core of Uber, and that's ride sharing. So ride sharing, for those who don't know, uh, we call UberX, is when people use their personal vehicles to provide rides to those who need a ride. Now, in the absence of any regulation on this, We've gone ahead and put strict background checks and insurance in place on this system because we know there's absolutely no margin for error when it comes to safety. And ride sharing around the world and here in Canada has proved enormously popular. Uh, We launched three months ago here in Canada. We already have tens of thousands of riders in Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa who use UberX every day as a part of their transportation. We even have thousands of people every week in Canadian cities signing up to be Uber drivers. That's real growth, and it grows every week more and more and more. Now, as you guys have no doubt picked up on, Uber is a regular tech company. We don't just build an app. We do much more than that. We engage, we mesh in the local economy. All of our drivers are local drivers. They're using the Uber platform to build their own small businesses. It's a completely flexible arrangement for them. They can work when they want, and they can also look, work for as long as they want. Completely flexible. And drivers are really the lifeblood of our business. There's some in the audience today. Uh, we go out of our way to treat this group as our customers, our valued customers, and we do everything we can to build our business around them. Now, to put in context the scale of the economic opportunity we're creating for these drivers, Consider this, in 2015, we are creating 1 million jobs for Uber drivers around the world. That number absolutely blows me away when I hear it. And here in Ontario, we will create 15,000 part-time jobs in 2015. Now, we've done our research. We can't find another Ontario company hiring more people. But there may be one out there, but we're tremendously proud of that job growth and economic contribution to the province. And I meet every day with drivers who come in and out of our offices. They've got very diverse and inspiring stories. I want to share a few of them uh, with you now. Faraz, he's a father of four from Mississauga, was recently laid off his his customer service job. Tough situation to be in, no doubt. But he's viewing it as an opportunity. He's going back to school, he's getting training, and finding a better job for his family. And he's doing that by working on UberX and supporting his family when he's not in class or not looking after his family. Sarah is another great example. She's a recent college graduate from Teachers College. And her dream is to be a teacher, but she can't find constant work. So she supply teachers generally one to two days a week. What she's able to do is sign on to Uber whenever she's not teaching, and that lets her continue to pursue her dream of being a teacher until she can find work. The last example I'll bring up uh, is a military veteran. He lives in Kingston currently, but he commutes to Toronto every weekend because he knows he's moving here, and he works on UberX not only to earn money to save up for a house in Toronto, but to meet new people to earn money, as I said, and really become a part of the community. He said, when he moves here, he wants to know people, and UberX is his way of doing it. Now, this fellow is a great example, too, of our partnership with True Patriot Love. And David from True Patriot Love is in the audience with us today. Uh, We're very proud of this partnership. It's really about empowering veterans and military family members to use the Uber platform to build their own small businesses. So our goal is to, Per, me, provide 500 economic opportunities for veterans and military family members. And we think that will have an enormous impact on helping veterans transition to civilian life and supporting military families when one spouse may be away serving. Uber is having an enormous impact on communities in other ways as well. Data from multiple cities shows that as Uber enters a community, DUIs and drunk driving incidents decrease by 10%. Also, taxi crime falls. As you take cash out of the taxi environment, it becomes safer for drivers and for riders. And we're complementing local transit networks as well. We're decreasing emissions by making it easier for people to leave their car at home and take transit to work by enabling last-mile transportation. And finally, we've uh, we've taken a broken taxi system and fixed it. Traditionally, taxi drivers can earn as little as $4 to $5 an hour in the city of Toronto. UberX drivers earn three to four times more than that, making an enormous economic contribution to the cities that Uber operates in. So I want to give you a bit of a peek into the future of Uber because we've taken ride sharing and revolutionized transportation that way, but we certainly aren't done there. The next step for us is Uber Pool. And it's already live in San Francisco, in London, uh, pardon me, not London, in Paris, and in New York. And here's how it works. Imagine every day there's a huge number of Uber trips. They start in roughly the same place, end in roughly the same place, and may happen at the same time. We call these look-alike trips. And what Uber Pool does is they match these, Uber, uh, these look-alike trips. So that rather than have one or two people in the car you now have three or four people in the car. That has an amazing impact of increasing occupancy, but also decreasing costs. Costs get near transit levels, $5 per ride or less. And the idea may seem simple, but the implications are really profound. So if you take that concept and you apply it to a city like Toronto, our data scientists believe you can take 500,000 cars off the road in Toronto. That's huge for the city. Imagine the impact on congestion and on emissions of taking 500,000 cars off the city. So that's a a vision that we're excited about. It's one we want to bring to Toronto and also Canadian cities across the country. Now, due to innovations like ride sharing and Uber Pool, we've been lucky enough to enjoy enormous growth as a company, but very honestly, and I'm sure as you read about in the media, that growth can sometimes be very challenging to manage. We've made our fair share of missteps, and there's those who very vocally criticize our approach. We're listening to those criticisms. We're taking those to heart and we're learning from them. And we know that as we grow as a company, we need to be a more humble company, we need to communicate better, and most importantly, we need to engage more with policymakers and politicians to ensure that we're a part of our community. It's only by doing that that we'll really be able to realize those fabulous visions that I talked about with UberPool. Now, speaking of policy, I'd like to close my remarks by addressing the regulatory situation we face in Toronto and in Canadian cities. Let me say this very plainly. Uber believes that we as a company and ride-sharing in general should and can be regulated in Canadian cities. And we want to work with politicians across the country to make this happen. Now, in order for this to work, we need to make some changes. Existing regulations don't apply very nicely to Uber. We need to create new regulations that allow for advances in technology and new business models. Because as many of you folks know here, Uber is a platform business. Just like eBay is a platform for small retailers or Expedia a platform for airlines, Uber is a platform where people can connect with local transportation options at the click of a button. And the old-fashioned brokerage rules just don't make sense in this context. Now, to date, taxi, license, taxi licensing officials have not seen it this way. They've tried to categorize Uber as a traditional taxi brokerage. They claim that Uber violates these rules, and they've even gone so far as to try and impose an injunction against Uber, which will be heard in May of next year. But to echo John Tory's comments and the Canadian Competition Bureau, this is a problem that needs a political solution, not a legal solution. That's why we're asking Canadian, Canadian regulators to step forward, engage on this issue, and help create new regulations that enshrine the benefit of new models while still protecting public safety. We are ready to take on this challenge as a company and we're thrilled to see politicians like John Toy and groups like the Canadian Competition Bureau support us in this. So what's the path forward to get there? Well, in the US, there's 20 jurisdictions that have passed ride-sharing regulations in the past year. We can really pick up on those models and run with them in Canada. Those regulations create new licensing categories for companies like Uber. They also enshrine background checks, insurance, and vehicle uh, inspections to ensure public safety. These are models that we can use for Canada. And as a Canadian, I want to make sure that we aren't left behind in taking advantage of the opportunities of ride sharing. Today. We sent an open letter to several Canadian mayors, city councils, and provincial politicians, telling them unequivocally that we are ready to come to the table and work on regulations that enshrine the benefits of ride-sharing and protect public safety. And we look forward to a day when we can sit around the table and make this happen in Canadian cities. So Canadian cities, we all know, face their fair share of challenges in transportation. But from where I sit, the future is bright. There's a lot of innovations happening in transportation, whether it be ride sharing or carpooling, that can really help reduce those challenges. And we look forward to working with politicians, policymakers, our driver partners and riders to make that happen in Canada. So I'll end there before the Q&A. I encourage everybody here to uh, bring on the tough questions. Uh, Don't be shy. Uh, And also on your table, there's a card where you can enjoy uh, a free Uber ride, please take advantage of that. Uh, reach out to our team, let us know uh, your comments and your feedback for those of you who haven't tried it. Uh, but thank you very much for being here. It's an honor to be uh, invited. And thank you all for listening. there. How are you doing? Very well. I go all right? Well, I don't know. <laughs> How do we feel. Um,
2: the the question that I, I have, that I think a lot of us have, is who is doing it right? Who has embraced this and said, let's find a way to keep the taxi companies happy, keep the regulatory body regulating and keep you guys in business is there a model out there yet
1: it's a great question and as I mentioned uh, there's about 20 jurisdictions in the US that have passed these regulations some are better than others uh, but DC is a great example so uh, we were talking earlier and DC actually has a lot of taxis traditionally has a very good system Uh, but about six weeks ago they passed new ride-sharing regulations and What this does, it creates a new category for companies like Uber or Lyft or other groups, and that allows these companies to become legitimate and then allows safety practices to be uh, put in place. So one example, background checks. The city of D.C. can say, or the, the territory of D.C. can say, we want all our drivers to meet these criteria, and then it's Uber's job to comply with that. That's, I think, a great model for Toronto.
2: And so here, is it a provincial matter? Is it a municipal matter? And how do you sort of, you know, you're waiting for court case in May, which is yeah. probably not the best way of approaching it. But between now and then, how do you try to lobby people to change very entrenched, very existing laws?
1: Yeah. It, it, well, the the May timeline is is important because I think we have a real timeline here and an opportunity as, as a city and a province to say, we aren't going to let this be solved by an injunction, we're going to be more positive, we're going to put our stamp on things. Um, and I think going forward, that's we need to just engage with politicians a bit more. I've forgotten your question as I'm rambling uh, around, uh, so. the The, 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 <laughs> the,
2: the place I started was, is it a provincial thing or is it uh, a municipal yes. thing? Okay, so... You
1: know, it has has traditionally been municipal. Taxis are regulated at the municipal level, uh, and there is a role for the province to play, though. We've seen in the U.S. this has started at the city level and gone to the the state level. So I think that's a good model here. We'd love to work with Toronto City Council, uh, but then there's too many municipalities in Ontario to do this one by one. Uh, So if we get a good model, uh, we could go to the province and say, let's make this work for everybody.
2: I just want to remind you there are those these cards on the uh, on the tables. Fill them out uh, and just hold them up. Somebody can come by and grab them and bring them up to us, because uh, obviously we want to keep you engaged in this as well. I w- what is it that keeps you up at night? Is it the regulatory thing? Is it the the missteps that you spoke about that sort of get a lot of press, uh, or is it the taxi companies themselves banding together? and saying, well, they have a good idea, why don't we all just come up with our own app and put you out of business?
1: I think the biggest challenge for us now is, as we grow uh, at a tremendous rate is making sure we hold it together in a really uh, good way. Uh, There's zero margin for error on safety. There's zero margin for error on making sure that all of our UberX drivers are background checked and have gone through the right checks. so in order to make sure we're staying on top of that and getting in front of any issues, that's really how our team spends a lot of their time. Um, but more broadly, what, I, what keeps me up is the idea that we've got a great idea here that really can take cars off the road and can improve transportation system. And if we aren't taking advantage of that, if we aren't uh, acting on that, then it seems like we're just missing an opportunity. So making sure we're educating uh, politicians and and getting out uh, and doing events like this, educating people and, and letting them know that this is actually an issue we need to fight for, it won't just happen.
2: When, when you see some of these missteps, the, the Sydney one, for example, you know, the, there was some concern that you guys were, were there, there was a price surge at the initial yep. attack and, and you guys changed that and said, we're gonna get everybody out of Sydney quickly and free. And, uh, but that initial sense that the price had gone up in, in, a, in a moment of a crisis, when you see that happen, Do you you just sort of bang your head on the table and say, you know, how how do you mitigate that? Because it gets out there so quickly. Everybody hears about it. It's all over Twitter. What do you do?
1: That's a tough situation. And for those who who don't know, give a bit of context. There was an awful hostage situation in Australia uh, a few days ago. We have a pricing model called surge pricing, uh, which doesn't respond to external events like this, but just responds to demand. demand. So surge pricing kicked in. And prices went up in a hostage situation. Uh, that can't happen. Uh, that's, that's a dumb thing for but us that, to that allow was happen. Really, just an algorithm
2: that's. But set it's that an algorithm,
1: exactly. And that's when I'm talking about. We need to be more vigilant in making sure we prevent those errors. We need to. We're a tech company. We've got a lot of smart engineers. We need to be able to find a way so that those systems can react to weather. Um, if there's a big snowstorm tomorrow, and people or, if there's flooding in the city. We need to be able to get people out without them feeling as though they're being price gouged. People understand surge pricing. It helps the whole system work better. There's some times when it shouldn't be in effect. Um, So it's us learning that discipline of uh, being on top of it. And we're a young company. We're we're still a startup in many ways. Uh, But very quickly, we've grown and have hundreds of thousands of stakeholders around the world, we need to mature a bit and and get better processes.
2: And people are either really on board and saying we understand how a mistake like that can happen and isn't it good that you correct it very quickly, or they hate you. It it, it is amazing how polarizing your company is. I should have asked, who in the room hates us? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. anybody? No. But it it is amazing how polarizing this company that is trying to solve a problem has become, Uh, is that? as sort of in, in a managerial role, is that hard to manage the, the sort of the distrust and, and weirdly the distaste that people have?
1: Well, I mean all we can do is focus on, <laughs> on the positive, right? Uh, we, we bring in every week hundreds of drivers onto the Uber system and, and we thankfully spend our days talking with them rather than reading yeah. the media stories. Uh, there's, a, there's a narrative out there in the media that thinks that Uber is the worst thing to happen in the world um, but that's what the media sometimes does. Uh, they create these stories, and uh, you know, we need to do a better job of pushing the positive, but we see a lot of the positive. The positive is the fact that 15,000 jobs in Ontario, yeah. that's a pretty cool story, and this is the first time I've ever seen it. We need to push that positive out more.
2: Do you feel, uh, trying to get this sorted out, at least here in Toronto and, and in Ontario, that time is a, is a crucial element in trying to get that settled, so you can actually have a, a business model that can that can work.
1: Completely, and I think about the the individuals who drive on Uber X. Um, they're like anybody in this room. They go home at the end of the day, and they talk about their day. And inevitably, their spouse or their daughter or their father might bring up, "Are you sure you should be doing that? Is it is it that illegal?" And that's going to hurt the growth of the company. But more importantly, that's going to hurt the economic opportunity for those people um, so I think there's something here that we have which is really positive for the city uh, and for cities around the country I'm with you if we I mean we would love to engage tomorrow we would love to sit down with City Council tomorrow uh, anyone here who's worked with government knows it takes time uh, but we're ready to do that
2: it, it seems like there's something of a tricky balance between you guys want to be a tech company You say you're a tech company yeah Uh, and yet it it looks an awful lot like a taxi company. Um, How important is it to make sure that you stay a tech company at least so you don't get regulated? Like is is that a tricky balance from a a sort of corporate perspective?
1: It it is, I mean what we focus more on how to, rather than think how do we fit the regulations that were drafted for an old model, we've been trying to think how do we Develop a system that actually solves the problem and then engage to make sure that we're doing so in a way that protects the key tenants of uh, regulation, which are public safety uh, and other protections for the public. So we've been trying to kind of take that engineer's approach. Let's solve the problem first uh, and get a good solution rather than jam it into an existing framework.
2: Uh, I live in the west end of Toronto, so I take the King Street car and I get short turned about 98% of the time. Last week I took the streetcar and got short turned, I took the Go train and walked a half hour home, I did car to go and I took Uber home, like I'm trying anything that'll work. So this next you can question... can make good use of that free ride. Exactly, yeah. So this question from the audience is: Toronto is spending a tremendous amount of money to improve public transit, doesn't rideshare and, and Uber pool, uh, doesn't that run counter to trying to promote public transit?
1: Great question. Um, In my view, no. Uh, There's a number of ways I think that we support transit systems. And one of the ways is folks who take transit uh, generally don't live right on a subway line. They need to get to that subway station. And if they can't get to that subway station in an easy way, well then they're going to take their car. So having a system like Uber that allows those uh, last mile trips or first mile trips really makes the transit system more accessible. Uh, there's also the fact that people take all sorts of different transit in a day, right? You can take a car to go to work, you can take transit home and Uber at night. The more there's options that support uh, people not using their car, the more they'll make the decision to not own a car and then use transit more often. So I actually think they're very complementary uh, rather than uh, fighting against one another. Okay, this one is a weird bugaboo of mine, about
2: self-driving cars. How does Uber plan to adopt and adjust its business model to the self-driving car? Won't that just wipe out everybody?
1: Great question. (laughs) Uh, No. Uh, Self-driving cars don't exist yet. Uh, They were 10 years away, 30 years ago, uh, (laughs) and I think it may stay that way for a little while. Uh, It's a really cool technology. It's a cool idea to think about, uh, but I don't think we're at that point. So it's a cool vision, but uh, I think a, a few years away yet um and then, i well i could be wrong i could be wrong it, it could well, be. well cool.
2: i mean it's one of those that when it happens it will suddenly happen everywhere exactly. and it'll transform the industry exactly the way the car itself did um so here's another question that if a driver is only making a certain amount of money working 12 hours driving a cab today yep. and we know there's five thousand cabs on the road in toronto so how does an uber x driver make money working less hours with you know the
1: Yep. How, how does that actually how work? How does it work that UberX prices are lower, yet somehow they can make a living Uber work. claims that they make more? Uh, simple answer to this. By lowering, lowering prices, you increase demand. And by increasing demand, you have a much more efficient system. So where taxi drivers may only be doing um, half a trip or one trip an hour, UberX drivers are doing many more an hour. So you have a much more efficient system that way, so drivers are earning more an hour. And there's also the structural fact that the tax industry, uh, I don't know how many of you know, is just burdened with, la- uh, with middlemen. Uh, it's not just the plate owner and the driver. There's several layers between there, and they all take their piece. Uh, and so very little goes down to the driver. With the Uber model, there's just the customer, the driver, and Uber takes a small percentage in between, so that flows right to the driver. And you, you, you brought up the stat, and I looked it up while you
2: were speaking, that there's 5,000 cabs in the road in Toronto. That's 18 for every 10,000 people. Ottawa's got about 15 for every 10,000 people. In DC, where you said they, they are one of the, the best equipped in taxis, they have 116 for every 10,000 people. And cab drivers still make pretty good money there. So there, there is an argument to be made that you know,
1: there, there is a balance. Well, it's that idea that uh, if folks own a car right now, Um, If we provide more options to take cars off the road, then more people will use this form of transit. We've already seen since launching UberX, uh, the efficiency of our system has increased dramatically as people hear about it and learn about it and start using it. And correspondingly, driver earnings have shot through the roof. Uh,
2: This is pretty simple. How are drivers screened to protect passenger safety and how are the vehicles
1: um, insured uh, when driving? Good questions. Uh, We do background checks on all of our UberX drivers, and those background checks uh, are actually set up to be more stringent than the requirements of Toronto taxi drivers. Uh, so every UberX driver goes through that. Insurance is another, is another good point. So all UberX rides are insured. There's stories out there to the contrary. Those are factually untrue. Uh, Uber has an insurance policy which acts in case the driver's personal policy does not come into force, so there are no circumstances under which and X right is insured. And we've taken this extra step because we know we're a big company. We can't afford to be in any position where this system is questioned. Um, so that's what we do. The, there are cities that have banned, there are
2: organizations that have really banned together to, to fight Uber. Yep. Um, how do you, what is your reaction to, was it Portland that just banned? Uber, uh, uh, pick any, uh, some city that has, yeah. what do you do? Do you just leave that, try to sort everybody else and, and come back to those cities at a different time?
1: It, so there's a number of cities who have had that initial negative reaction yeah. to Uber. It's a long, it's a long uh, engagement. So this will change over time. I think we've seen a lot of U.S. cities early on said, no, we don't want anything to do with Uber, and this was when we were only black car. Uh, We don't want to touch Uber, and now as we've uh, gone to UberX, our ride-sharing option, uh, that should be even more toxic to cities that view things from a taxi mindset, but we've seen people see the benefits, see that this is actually a huge job creator, that it does uh, complement transit, so in those cities I think patience is really the, the approach that we take.
2: I went to one of these things uh, with somebody from Twitter, and all of the questions were, "What's office culture like? Are you guys hiring?" <laughs> Anyways, uh, can you describe the Uber office culture in Canada? What roles and, and what's it like? Y- you bet. You're, you're a pretty small operation.
1: It's a right? pretty small operation. The the Canadian team is about 25 folks. Uh, it got a lot better. We just moved offices, uh, office with uh, with room to grow. So I think the team is probably a lot happier. Some of them are here. Uh, we used to be in a small room, very startup-y, all hunched over laptops and in each other's space. Now we have room to room to. Smell. Right. Uh, but it's it's uh, it's a company that really uh, takes uh, takes its mission seriously, uh, working hard. Um, for those maybe in the audience, uh, I know some folks from Rotman here. Uh, we are hiring for, on the operations team and the marketing team. Uh, so lots of room on the uber team i would love to have you on board um
2: what are the expansion plans i mean you guys are growing so fast and you said part of some of the 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 obstacles the challenges you faced is that really quick expansion comes with its own set of problems what's the the next big market for
1: for uber well so many canadian cities have awful taxi uh (laughs) systems uh to be honest so we look to vancouver we look to calgary we look to edmonton um, a lot of other places that just need a fix. Uh, so our priority in the Canadian business is really bringing Uber uh, to all those cities. Uh, but in the U.S. right now, it's, it's quite cool. We uh, are accessible by 55% of the population. And that's in a country that's much more uh, spread out. So we're going to... Uh, hundred thousand cities, fifty thousand cities. Uh, so th- I think that's the next frontier for us in Canada, um, going to places all around southwestern Ontario uh, and beyond. And as
2: you expand, will there be cities that will come to you and say, w- "Let's let us be the guinea pig. Let us try to figure out your regulatory model." It, and like, have people approached you about that? They, yes,
1: there, there's a few cities, um, uh, two cities in Canada actually that have done that, and that's still happening somewhat quietly uh so, so you i want won't, to keep it quiet i, I, won't, share, I it? won't share which ones right now <laughs> uh, but we are starting to see that because um i think john toy was a great example he he realized that you can't put your head in the sand here and turn the tide back um and there's politicians who are seeing this as an opportunity for their cities but also politically and we're here to support that
2: uh and somebody's asking about uh, expansion plans to china is that we're on, in china who
1: are? uh the people's uber uh, That's right. is what it's called. <laughs> uh, and uh, there's, there's interesting rules in China. I won't get into to all of them, but uh, transportation providers must be non-for-profit there. Uh, the people's Uber. Um, so open your app next time you're in Beijing.
2: Yeah, there you go. Uh, somebody's written, is it not true that Uber's not paying the same fees as a taxi company? You, you're, you're not even trying to compare fee structure or It's a totally different service in your mind,
1: right? Exactly. So uh, I think what that's referring to, taxi companies pay an annual brokerage fee to the city. Uh, If we were licensed as a brokerage company, we would pay those fees. Uh, What we need is a brokerage definition that fits our model.
2: Um, Do you guys have it in your head, like what, what the actual model, what the regulation language should look like? and do you you know as you go into new cities you present that or is it sort of a give and take between the city and what their existing uh regulatory body looks like
1: so all cities are a bit different different, in this respect but what what we like to do is uh, every city being very different we can bring examples of what other cities have done so dc or chicago or austin texas or california at the state level or colorado at the state level All these jurisdictions have regulation, and so we can put those on the table and say, here's what everyone's coalescing around, Uh, and then we can take those and say, okay, how do we Canadianize them? Uh, So that's what we're doing here uh, in Toronto. We're meeting with city councilors this week, next week, uh, in the new year, and saying, how can we make, take this model and make it work for Canadian cities? Uh, hopefully, there'll be uh, some open ears on that front. All right.
2: I think that's all the time we have. But thank you guys very much for listening. Thank you for entertaining the thank questions. You. Thank you. guys very much. See you again soon. I think
3: My is Andrew Graham, and I'm a director on the board of the Canadian Club, and it's my pleasure to thank both you gentlemen for what you've done today. First of all, Peter, thanks for joining and, and providing your uh, your uh, excellent interview skills. Uh, a lot of great content there covered in a brief period of time. Um, and Ian, on behalf of the Canadian Club of Toronto, I'd like to thank you for sharing your vision of not only um, what some of us think of Uber as, as a way to get a taxi, but really as a, as a, uh, a compelling vision for urban transportation. Um, I hadn't heard of Uber Pool before and when you first said it, my mind went to sort of bathing suits and um, that sort of thing and I I thought this may not be the time of year or the market to sort of launch it, but once you explained it, I I, I really thought it was a very compelling uh, sort of solution to some of uh, Toronto's uh, transport challenges. Um, Uber Technologies has done really a terrific job of bringing together technology and innovation to drive change in the transportation industry and we appreciate you sharing your insights with us today. I know as a, as a user, um, I'm sure many of you in the audience are also users, uh, it's great to have the added choice when I'm looking to uh, to go somewhere. So thank you very much for joining us and for sharing your thoughts.
0: Thanks Andrew, and again thank you Peter and Ian for being here. It was really interesting and we're thrilled that you joined us today. I'd also again like to express our sincere thank you to McCarthy Tetro LLP for your generous support uh, that made today's event possible. Thank you. Before I adjourn today's meeting, I'd like to draw your attention to our survey cards on each of your table. We are always looking for ways to improve your experience, so if you would please take a minute to help us by sharing your thoughts and comments including whether you like our new shortened luncheon format, and this is the first time that we're at the brand new Delta, whether you like this venue, we'd very much appreciate your feedback on these cards. This concludes our program today, uh, which will be broadcast on Rogers Television in the days to come. You can visit the Canadian Club website to download webcasts and podcasts of today and other club events. To learn more about the Canadian Club and our upcoming events, please visit us at www.canadianclub.org. Thank you all for joining us today. Our meeting is now adjourned.